tonight. Well, I had another message that I was planning on preaching tonight, but as the Lord sometimes does, um, I've been drawn to Nehemiah chapter 9. Brother Jake and I on, uh, I think it was Friday night, spent about an hour and a half studying this chapter, and I think we're going to be here for a couple weeks. So um, it's a wonderful chapter, and um, there's so much in this. I think tonight we'll just do the first 12 verses. Let's turn to Nehemiah chapter 9. The name of the message is a cloud and a fiery pillar. Cloud and a fiery pillar. Now here in this portion of Scripture that we'll look at tonight, we'll see the people of Israel confessing their sin throughout this chapter. We're only probably going to make it to verses 12, to 12, verse 12, but as we study this chapter, we'll see that the, the Israel confessing their sin, and there's references to the Lord Jesus Christ and God's sovereignty. It's very clear, and it's proclaimed and acknowledged by those who are speaking in this chapter. Let's read verses 1 and 2. Now on the 20th and 4th day of the month, the children of Israel were assembled with fasting and with sackcloth and earth upon them. And the seed of Israel separated themselves from all strangers and stood and confessed their sins and the iniquities of their fathers. So this fast is appointed with a view to implore the pardon of God. And what it was for was for the mingling. The, the Israelites had mingled with the idolatrous nations of the earth and, and the law of God commanded them not to. Remember the Lord told them when you go into that land, don't mix with them. Don't mix with them. Well, they had. They had. And so this this fast is, is for that. They're, they're, they're seeking the Lord's pardon. And we'll see that as we study this chapter. And remember what Scripture says, for what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And, and, and what communion hath light with darkness? And so this is why the Lord had warned them. Because he knew they would be carried away. He knew they'd be carried away. And, and note, they confessed their sins and iniquities of their fathers. And what do we do when we're born again? We confess our sins and iniquities, don't we? Before the Lord. We say, Lord, I'm a sinner. I need you. I need you. <clears throat> Look verse 2. And stood and confessed their sins and the iniquities of their fathers. And then look at verse 3. And they stood up in the, in the place and read, read in the book of the law of the Lord, their God, one-fourth part of the day and another-fourth part that, that they confessed and worshiped the Lord their God. So note here the order of the fast. It stated they read the word, then they prayed. And this is the way they divided the service. This is the way they divided the fast. Then stood up upon the stairs the Levites, Jeshua, Benai, Kadamiel, Shebaniah, Onai, Sherebiah, Benai, Shananai, and cried with a loud voice unto the Lord their God. And note, note, they cried unto God who they sinned against. They cried out to him. They cried, what do we do as born again believers? We cry out to he who we've sinned against, don't we? We cry out to him. And again, let us always remember that our sins are against God. They're against him. Then the Levites, Jeshua, and Kadmiel, Benai, Hashbiniah, 
Sherabiah, Hodijah, Shebaniah, and Pethahiah said, Stand up and bless the Lord your God forever and ever. And blessed be thy glorious name, which is exalted above all blessing and praise. And they are said, they are, they are said to stand before the Lord, but several commentators said that through the shame of their sin and the awe of divine majesty, they would have their faces looking down to the ground. They're repenting. They're repenting. And, and we have a reference to that. Turn, if you would, to Luke 18, 13. We see this in the New Testament. And, and is this not so of us when, when God reveals what we are to us. And when he reveals who he is, we're sinners and he's holy and he's righteous. And look at Luke 18, verse 13, where we see the publican. Now we know the Pharisee, what did he do? He kept his head up and he was boasting, wasn't he? Well, I thank you, I'm not like that publican over there. Oh, I fast and I tithe and I, and I oh, I, I pray. Remember, he was boasting in what he does. But look at the publican. Look at the publican. He's been convicted of his sin. And the publican, standing afar off, verse 13, would not, so much, would, would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast. He wouldn't lift his head up. He'd been humble. And smote upon his breast, saying what? God be merciful to me, a sinner. He's repentant. And note, let's go back to, to Nehemiah. And note in verse 5, it says, Bless the Lord your God forever and ever. Bless the Lord your God forever and ever. And blessed be thy glorious name, which is exalted above all blessing and praise. Let we who are the people of God, let we who are his blood-washed saints, let us bless the Lord our God forever and ever. And we will, won't we? We bless our God while we're here on earth for what he's done for us. And when we get the glory, we'll bless him. We'll praise his name. He's the center and object of worship in heaven. And we'll be looking to him. And we'll bless his name. We'll bless the Lord our God forever and ever. We'll give him all the praise and glory. Why do we do that? For the great things that he had done for us. The great things he had done for us. And this is the, what the Israelites are here doing. As we study this chapter, we'll see them continuously remembering his mercy towards them. And he, read this chapter on your own too. He is so merciful. Continuously. And they go through the history of how merciful he was to Israel. It's incredible. And, and as I was reading it with Brother Jake and studying it, you, you just see a picture of us, we who are redeemed. Because we know that he was so merciful to us and so long-suffering to us, wasn't he? All the time. And he still is. He still is. God is faithful. He's faithful. Even when we're not, he's faithful. He's faithful. And that gives the believer great hope. Great hope. And so they're blessing the Lord for his mercy and for his pardoning grace. 
And this gave them reason to hope. Look at, blessed be thy glorious name. The Lord's name is exalted above all other names, isn't it? The Lord Jesus Christ, his name is the name above all names. All names. When you think about his perfections, we bless his name. When you think about his holiness, we bless his name. When you think about redemption through Christ and Christ alone, we bless his name. He's wonderful. He's wonderful to the believer. And when we think upon the great mercy which he has had upon us, what do we do? We bless his name. We thank him. We glorify him. We praise his mighty name. And his name is glorious, isn't it? It's a name far above all other names. You who are his blood-bought people, praise his name. And we say, blessed be thy glorious name. And then Nehemiah 9, 6. Thou, even thou, art Lord alone. Well, there's a statement right there before us. He's Lord. And Lord there is self-existent one. He is sovereign. He is God. Thou hast made heaven, the heaven of heavens, with all their hosts, the earth and all things that are therein, the seas, and all that is therein, thou preservest them all, and the host of heaven worshipeth, worshipeth thee. So again, thou, even thou, art Lord alone. Art Lord alone. He's Jehovah, the self-existent one, the true and living God. But note here also, we see a reference to the Lord Jesus Christ. You may say, where? Turn, if you would, to John chapter 1, verse 1. And I'll read Nehemiah again. This, Thou hast made heaven, the heaven of heavens, with all their hosts, the earth and all things that are therein, the seas and all that is therein, and thou preservest them all, and the host of heaven worship thee. Look at John chapter 1. Here, there's a reference right there to the Lord Jesus Christ. Because we know from John chapter 1 that he's the creator of all things. He's the creator of all things. By him all things consist. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God and the Word was God. Now we know further down in the chapter it says the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. So the Word here is the Lord Jesus Christ. The same was in the beginning with him, with God, all things were what? Made by him. And without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of man. And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended not. But note there, all things were made by him. Without him was not anything made that was made. Now turn back to Nehemiah. Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 6. Thou... Even thou art Lord alone. Thou hast made heaven. The heaven of heavens. With all their hosts. The earth and all things that are therein. The seas and all that is therein. And thou preservest them all. And the host of heaven worship thee. Who does the host of heaven worship? Christ. Christ. Oh my. Our great God. And note it's the Lord who preserves by his almighty power. 
Look at it. It says, and thou preservest them all. He preserves, he preserves his people. He preserves people until it's the time for them to die, doesn't he? All by his almighty power. Every human being has an appointment. And they will not miss it. They will not miss it. And think of this too as the great, great protector of, of the whole creation. He preserves all things. God's, God's providence extends to all things, both visible and invisible. And what God made, here preserved. Here preserved. Turn, if you would, to Ecclesiastics chapter 3. Ecclesiastics chapter 3. And think of this. Think of this in light of our salvation, right? Our salvation is everlasting salvation because it's in Christ, right? It's in Him. Look at this in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 14. I know that whatsoever God doeth, what? It shall be forever. So, so that means if God saves a sinner, now let this sink in, beloved. If God saves you, if he has saved you, when God saves a sinner, it's forever. Isn't that wonderful? It's forever. Nothing can be put to it, nor anything taken from it. And God, and God doeth it that man should fear before him. Salvations of the Lord, period. And those he saves, he keeps. They shall be with him in glory. And we who are redeemed, we, we rejoice in this precious truth, don't we? It's so comforting that our salvation is not based upon us. And those of us who came out of religion, remember they told us, well, it's all about what you do. No, it's all about what he's done. It's all about what he, and what God does is forever. Forever. And nothing can be put to it, nor anything taken from it. And now, let's look at the next verse. They, they start to recall the history of Israel and how God is merciful to his people despite their sinfulness. Look at this. Thou art the Lord, the God, who didst choose Abraham and brought us him forth out of Ur of the, of the Chaldees and givest him the name of Abraham. Now notice... Our God is a choosing God. People don't like to hear that, do they? We know that. Especially people in religion. They want a God they can control. And that's a little g. Our God is absolutely sovereign. He does as he pleases. He chooses whomever he will. Look at what it says here. Thou art the Lord, the God, who didst choose Abraham and broughtest him forth out of the Ur of the Chaldees and givest him the name of Abraham. Right here before us, we see God's distinguishing grace. He chose Abraham. He chose Abraham. And beloved, he chose his people in eternity, in Christ. And God's favor to Abraham here was distinguishing. Did Abraham deserve this? No. 
Did we who redeemed, who are redeemed, did we deserve the mercy and grace that we received? No. No. And he, think of this. I, I was pondering this as Jake and I were looking at this. He chose Abraham, right? And he left all those around Abraham in idolatry. What has he done for us? We who are redeemed, the same thing. We were chosen in eternity, redeemed by Christ, and he, he plucked us from the midst of where we were. He chose Abraham, but left all those around him in idolatry. And he chooses us in Christ, and he's left all those others that we knew and grew up with, left them in their sin. God's grace in Abraham was powerful. It brought him out of, of the Ur of the Chaldees. And we look at Abraham and we see free grace glorified in him. Right here before us. We see free grace glorified in Abraham. In what, in what God has done for Abraham. And we see that the covenant God, the covenant that God made with him. And it was a sure covenant, wasn't it? It was a sure covenant. Why? Because God will do that what he says he'll do. And we know that Abraham was faithful before God, that he believed God, but let us always remember that, that Abraham's heart was faithful because God had given him a new heart. He is born again by the Holy Spirit of God. God had done a great work in him. And let we who believe always remember that, that we, just as Abraham, have faith in Christ because of what God has done for us. It's him who's made us to differ. We have not faith in anything we do. Faith is not of ourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Therefore, we can conclude this. Salvation's of the Lord. It's of the Lord. It's his doing. He's the author of it. He's the finisher of it. And he's everything in between, isn't he? as we grow in the grace and knowledge and truth of him, until he takes us home. It's his work. And we marvel in this. Now, remember too, Abraham was steeped in idolatry. The land of Ur was steeped in idolatry. He was an idol worshiper. And it's the Lord who brings him out of that. Look at our text there. Thou art the Lord, the God who didst choose Abraham and brought us him forth out of Ur. He had no ability to come out of that on his own, did he? No. Just as we have no ability to come to the Lord on our own, but he makes his people willing in the day of his power. And notice it says here too, and gave us him the name of Abraham. Turn, if you would, to Revelation chapter 2, verse 17. And we, we had a whole message on this. And I, th this was a great cross-reference. Give us him the name of Abraham. What does he do for us? Look at Revelation 2.17. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. And the only reason... The only way we have an ear to hear is because the Holy Spirit has given us ears to hear and eyes to see Christ. 
Look at this. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the hidden manna. That's Christ. Christ is the hidden manna. And will give him a white stone, and in the stone a new name written, which no man knoweth, saving he that receiveth it. And when, when we studied that passage, I, I had bought forth that, Hawker bought forth that, that the name on that stone is the Lord our righteousness. It's the Lord our righteousness. Because it all centers around him, beloved. It all centers around him. We who believe are given to eat of the hidden manna, which is Christ Jesus our Lord. And given a white stone with a new name written on it. The Lord our righteousness. Let's go back to Nehemiah chapter 9. We'll look at verse 8. And look at it. It says, And found his heart faithful before thee. And made us a covenant with him to give the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, and the Perzites, and Jezebites, and Gershites, to give it, I say, to his seed. And has performed thy words. Why? For thou art righteous. For thou art righteous. And note the Lord prefer, performs that which he says he will do. He does. He does. You know why? Because he has the power, he has the authority, and he has the ability to do it all. We lack the power to come to Christ. We lack the ability to come to Christ. And we have no authority to come to him, do we? No. But praise God, he comes and seeks out his lost sheep. Oh my. So it's the Lord alone who performs that which he, he says he will do. He has all power. And note in the latter part of this verse, for thou art righteous. Our Lord, our, our, Lord, our God is righteous in, in all his ways. And in all his works. And is this not what we profess as believers? We profess this, don't we? You're righteous, Lord. I'm so unrighteous, but you're righteous. And, and I, the, only way, the, reason, the only reason that we who believe are righteous in the eyes of God is because of the righteousness of Christ. That's the only reason. Oh, he's righteous. He's holy, beloved. And he's a covenant-keeping God. And it is he who has kept and fulfilled this covenant, assisting Joshua to conquer the land. It's him who took the people into the land of Canaan and put Israel into the possession of it. And in reference to verse 8, which says, Thou art righteous, let's turn to Psalm 92, verses 14 and 15. Psalm 92, verses 14 and 15. Remember, they profess, thou art righteous. Look what it says here in Psalm 92, 14 and 15. They shall bring, they shall still bring forth fruit in old age. They shall be fat and flourishing to show that the Lord is upright. He is my rock and there is what? No unrighteousness in him. He's perfect righteousness. Now let's look at verses 9 to 12 back in Nehemiah. Verses 9 to 12. Again, they're accounting now the deliverance of Israel from Egypt. And we know, we know that Israel was delivered from Egypt all by the mighty power of God, all by his providential hand. 
And we'll see that. He delivered them. Just as he took, took Abraham out of, the, out of the Ur of the Chaldees, he bought forth the Israelites. He bought forth his people. And what a picture we have of how he leads us through this world, this wilderness that we live in. And one day, one day we'll be home with him. One day we'll be in the promised land, which is a, Canaan is a picture of heaven, beloved. We'll be in glory with him. Look at verse 9. And did us see the affliction of our fathers in Egypt and heard us their cry by the Red Sea. Note that God hears the cry of his people. He hears our prayers. Beloved. He hears our prayers. And then look at verses 9 and 10. And show us signs and wonders upon Pharaoh and on all his servants and on all the, the people of his land. For thou knowest that they dwelt proudly against them. So didst, thee, so didst thou get thee a great name as it is this day. And thou didst divide the sea before them. He, he divided the Red Sea. So that they went through the midst of the sea on dry land. Imagine the, one of the great lakes just opening up and you walk right across to Canada or, or wherever, you know. This is what happened. This truly happened. It's a miracle. It's God who's done this. And their persecutors, thou throwest into the deep as a stone into the mighty waters. So God showed himself. Look at what, what we see here. God showed himself far above the enemies of his people. And we see that in the latter part there. And their persecutors thou throwest into the deeps as a stone into the mighty waters. Oh, what great deliverance the people of Israel saw on that day. And even to this day, the name of God is glorified for that wonderful work. Even today, we, we stand in awe of that, don't we? As believers. And this great deliverance was done miraculously by God with signs and wonders. The deliverance of the Israelites and the destruction of their enemies. Now think of this, who were thrown into the deep, irrecoverably. Just, and I was thinking about this with Brother John. You were on the, you think you were out in the middle of the ocean and you throw a rock in the ocean, it's irrecoverable. You'll never find that back again. And that's what God did with the enemies of Israel. Just as a stone thrown into the depths of the sea. My. Oh, the power of God. And note it was the Lord who delivered them. The Lord delivered them. It was the Lord who led them and protected them through the wilderness. And it's the Lord who delivered them into the promised land. What a picture of the salvation of a sinner. Taken. Taken. Out of Egypt. Think of this though before that. The Passover lamb. The blood is applied to the lamb. A picture of redemption through Christ and his blood. Then the Lord takes his people out of Egypt. It's a picture of him taking us out of the world. We're still in the world, but, but we're not of the world. We're not of the world. 
And then the Lord leads and guides them through the wilderness. What does he do for his people? He leads and guides us, guides us through the wilderness of this world, doesn't he? And then, then he takes them and guides them into the promised land. This is what he does for us. He delivers us into the promised land, beloved, heaven. When we die, when he takes us home to glory, and the believer says, praise you the Lord. Praise God for his goodness. Look at verse 12 now. Moreover thou lettest them in the day by a cloudy pillar and in the night by a pillar of fire to give them light in the way wherein they should go. God is so merciful, beloved, that he will never leave his people. He'll never leave his people. He'll never forsake them. We see that right here. He guides and directs his people all through their lives. He's the all-protecting one, the all-sovereign God. And it is he who keeps watch over us, just as he did with the Israelites. Turn, if you would, to Exodus chapter 13. Exodus chapter 13. And I'll read Nehemiah 12 again. Moreover, thou lettest them in the day by a cloudy pillar, and in the night by a pillar of fire, to give them light in the way wherein they should go. So they traveled at night, too. They traveled at night. Look at this in Exodus 13, 21 and 22. And the Lord went before them by day in the pillar of a cloud to lead them the way, and by night in the pillar of fire to give them light to go by day and night. He took not away the pillar of the cloud by day, nor the pillar of the fire by night from before the people. And note, it is, note here in, in Exodus 13.21, it's the Lord who goes before them. He goes before them. And, and this is he who is called the angel of the Lord. He's not a created angel. He's the angel of Jehovah's presence, beloved. No one in the New Testament is the word of God. The Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ. Who went before all the armies of Israel. He's their king, their leader, and their commander. And it says here, and the Lord went before them. He went before them. Does he not go before us? Oh, what a great God we have. And note he went before them by day in the pillar of a cloud to lead their way through the Red Sea and through the wilderness and through a way which was untrodden and trackless. And the path was difficult. It was sandy. And and as a path was made, it would be covered over by sand, several commentators said. It'd be covered over by sand and could be seen no more. Now, this cloud was not an ordinary cloud. It was an extraordinary, supernatural, and miraculous cloud. John Gill comments this way about the cloud. It was in the form of a pillar rising upward towards heaven in the lower part of it. It was more spread and covered the camp of Israel, for besides the use of it to show the way through a trackless wilderness, it was a shelter and protection from the scorching heat of the sun in a sandy desert. Oh my. They were protected from the elements. 
And the cloud pictured Christ. Turn, if you would, to Isaiah chapter 4, verse 5. The, the cloud pictures Christ. And also put your finger in Revelation chapter 10. Isaiah chapter 4 and Revelation chapter 10. Isaiah chapter 4, verse 5. And the Lord will create upon every dwelling place of Mount Zion and upon her assemblies a cloud and smoke by day and the shining of a flaming fire by night. For upon all the glory shall be a defense. And then look over in Revelation chapter 10. And I saw another mighty angel come down from heaven, clothed with a cloud, and a rainbow was upon his head, and his face was as it were the sun, and his feet as pillars of fire. Christ guides us and directs us all through this world, beloved. All through this world. He's a light unto our path, isn't he? He's a light unto our path. And it's the Holy Spirit of God who illuminates his word for us. And our Lord is a constant guide and shelter to his people. We can, we can rest in that truth. I love that song we sing. He's a shelter in the time of storm. He is. He's a shelter for his people. And Christ shelters and protects his people. Think of this. From the, the heat of, of his fiery law. The fiery law of God. Christ shelters and protects his people from the flaming sword of God's justice, which must be satisfied. And Christ shelters and protects his people. He died as our substitute. When he died as a propitiation for his people, when he satisfied God's wrath and justice for our sins, did he not shelter and protect us? Yes, he did. And is he not our only refuge from our sins? The only refuge. He's a shelter in the time of storm for his people. Protecting us also from the fiery darts of Satan. And from the persecution of wicked men. Which is sometimes compared to the violent heat of the sun. And he is a pillar of fire by night. To give his people light when they travel at night. They did sometimes in these hot countries. They traveled at night because it was cooler. It was cooler. And the pillar of fire gave them light. Gave them light. And when the moon was concealed, and it directed them which way to go. Christ is the light and the comfort of his people. And by his spirit and word, he illuminates, guides, and directs his people what to do and where and how they are to walk, either by day or by night. And it is he who directs us. It is he who guides us in this journey through the wilderness of our life. So let us glean from this portion that the Lord is ever-present with his people. He's ever, that's what we see here, isn't it? He's ever present with his people. Always. 
And the cloud and pillar of fire were a symbol of the divine presence, which is with his people both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. Turn, if you would, to Zechariah chapter 2, and then also in Matthew chapter 18. Oh, he's ever-present with his people, both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. And remember, true spiritual Israel in the Old Testament were his elect. Just as we who are spiritual Israel in the New Testament are his people, his elect. One body, beloved, one spirit, one faith, and one Redeemer. The Lord Jesus Christ and Him alone. Look at Zechariah chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. And said unto him, Run, speak to this young man, saying, Jerusalem shall be inhabited as towns without walls, for the multitude of men and cattle therein. For I, saith the Lord, will be unto her a wall of fire round about, and will be the glory in the midst of her. The Lord is, is a wall of fire around about his people, beloved. He's a wall of fire. And he's in the midst of us, isn't he? Look over in Matthew, chapter 18, verse 20. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, where? There am I in the midst of them. Doesn't say a hundred, doesn't say a thousand. Praise be to God, it says two or three. Two or three of God's people gathered together in my name. There am I in the midst of them. And just as he lightened the way for the Israelites at night, he lightens the way for his people, doesn't he? Turn, if you would, to Luke. Luke chapter 2, verse 29. We'll read the words of Simeon. Luke chapter 2, verses 29 to 32. Lord, now lettest thou thy servant depart in peace to thy word. For mine eyes have seen thy salvation. And he's holding Christ. He's holding the baby who's Christ. God incarnate in the flesh. And he says, for mine eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared before the face of all people. And look at this. A light to lighten the Gentiles. And the glory of thy people. Israel. Let we who are redeemed, let we who are God's blood-bought people, whom he purchased on Calvary's cross by his death upon the cross, let, let us leave here today pondering the gracious protection of God's people. The gracious protection, protection of God's people. God's elect by Christ, from all our enemies. From all our enemies. As the cloud stood between the Israelites and the Egyptians, 
when they passed through the Red Sea and kept them safe, kept Israel safe from the Egyptians, as well as being a refreshing and, and protecting source from heat. So Christ protects his people in this life. As a pillar of fire was to give light to the children of Israel and direct them in their passage through the wilderness in the nighttime, so Christ will be the light of his people. The light of his people. By the illuminations of the Holy Spirit of God through the preaching of the gospel, and through the studying of his word. Beloved, he delivers, he shelters, he protects his people, and he does this all by the working of his almighty power. And he saves whomever he wills, the people of his own choosing. And as I said, just like Abraham was chosen out of, out of all those people, and all those others were left in our idolatry. We see such a picture of what God has done for us. He chose us. He redeemed us. He regenerated us. He called us with an effectual call. And now we praise his mighty name. And he does all that by the working of his almighty power. Christ Jesus our Lord is is the great shepherd and bishop of our souls. And we who are born again, blood-washed saints, we marvel, don't we? We marvel at his mercy towards us. We marvel at his grace which has been given to us. And we praise his mighty name. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank thee for the time that we could spend in thy word. Oh, Lord, it we see thy protecting hand watching over your people, guiding, directing your people. And in this passage, we see, we see how you take care of your church. You guide and direct us. Israel was a picture of the church, and we see that. You called us out of the pit of sin that we were in. You redeemed us with thy precious blood. You bought us out of that situation. We could never have bought ourselves out of there. And we marvel at the mercy and grace which has been bestowed upon us in Christ Jesus our Lord. And it's in your name, Lord, we pray. Amen.